Galatians chapter 3, 7 through 29. This is called the promise. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. What? And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Abraham knew the gospel. Crazy. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. For the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. So if you do the law, you'll live by the law. If you choose the law, you got to take the whole entire law. Make sense? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged from a tree, just like Jesus, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises that were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Um, It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring. And that offspring of Abraham is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, after the covenant that was made with Abraham, um, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But, by, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? What's this all about? Why do we have this? And it was added because of transgressions. Meaning you were already sinning before the law. Now God added the law so that you could see the sin that was always there. Now you're just aware that you're doing it. So as to make the promise void. Sorry. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed come from the law. But it's implying Life cannot be given from the law. Right? Life is an inheritance of God. You inherit eternal life. Life can't be given by the law. Sins were already in place before the law. Now you just have the law to make you aware that sin is in place and you are in need indeed. 
of a Savior. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. We were prisoners of the law. That doesn't sound very fun, now does it? So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized in Christ, um, and have put on Christ. Now there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you belong to Christ, you are now grafted into the promise of Abraham. Cool. All right, so check this out as we're diving into Galatians 3. Um, Back in ancient times and in ancient societies, there were cities with many, or not cities, but like people groups with many gods, right? We call this polytheism. And these were lowercase g gods because they were not God, like the Lord, the creator of all the heavens and the earth. These are lowercase g's gods who are lesser gods and they would be worshipped. And the Romans had these gods and the Greeks had these gods and the Mesopotamians had these gods, right? And everybody had multiple multiple gods. And the way that would happen is gods were in charge of how the world worked so to speak. And you had different gods in charge of different things, right? So there's a sun god and there's a moon god and there's um, a god of the sea and there's a god of war and there's a god of love and all these things. And you you would have a different god for everything. And if you wanted to get anything accomplished in this life, you would have to go through the gods. So if you wanted favor from the gods... You would have to appease the gods. You would have to do things to get on the gods' good side. You would have to make them happy. You would have to live in such a way that would earn and gain their favor so that you could um, live under their favor. Having their favor in your life so that they can manipulate the circumstances in your life and make what you want happen. So how would people go about making for themselves a good life? Well, when they lived in these polytheistic societies and they had all these gods that were worshipped and bowed down to, they would worship these different gods and try to manipulate these different gods in such a way that they would get their will accomplished. They would get the life that they wanted, right? So this is like the way that people think in this ancient society. Um... And the idea was that the gods, lowercase g, could be manipulated. Gods could be manipulated. Well, the God that we meet in the Bible, 
that we're told about through the scriptures is not a God that will be manipulated. This is a God that his will is done and it transcends the laws of nature and the laws of heaven and earth. And what he chooses and he wills comes to pass. When he tells the sun to stand still, the sun stands still. When he tells a mountain to move, a mountain moves. When he tells the stars to stop shining in their glory, the stars stop shining in their glory. Does this make sense? This is the God that we're told about in the Bible. Right? And as Job is going through his hard time in the book of Job, and he's experiencing all these kind of trials, and he's like, God, why can't I get you to give me favor? And he has this kind of dialogue, this conversation with him, right? And Job's friends kind of butt in, and you've got like Eliphaz in there, like, what did you do in your life? How did you mess up so bad? That you fell out of God's favor. Implying that there is something that you could do or some way that you could be that you could gain or lose God's favor. Right? This mindset that God could be manipulated. Right? And that isn't the case of the God that we're told about in the Bible. You see, we're told the story in the Bible where this life isn't centered on us and it's not centered on our will and it's not centered on getting our will accomplished here and now by manipulating gods. This story that we're told in the Bible is not a story of making much of ourselves, but rather it's a story of making much of God. And what God is doing in the world. And how he is bringing glory to himself through his people. And how he is, he is working in his people to make them holy and pure. To present them before himself as a spotless bride. That they would be giving eternal, forever, ongoing, ongoing glory to him for ages and ages. Make sense? This is a much different story than the ancient societies. Well, we learn about the sons of Abraham in the book of Genesis, right? And the sons of Abraham, he had two biological sons. There are Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael, the son of the flesh. Isaac, the son that was promised to him by God. These were the biological sons of Abraham. From Isaac came Jacob. Jacob changed to Israel, and Israel becomes a nation, right? Um, these were people of the promise. You see, in Genesis 12, God pulled Abraham aside, and he's like, I'm going to make a promise to you. You've got to come up out of your land. You're going to go to a new land that I show you. And I am going to bless you. In fact, I'm going to bless your socks off. (laughs) Right? And anybody who blesses you, I will bless them. Anybody who curses you, I will curse them. 
And I am going to give you descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky, that outnumber the sand on the seashore. And this promise is repeated. It's again repeated to Abraham in Genesis 15. It's repeated to his son Isaac. And then it's repeated to Jacob. Jacob, the son of promise. The father of Israel. Right. That's right. <laughs> so... When the Bible talks about the sons of Abraham, what we're talking about is this this lineage that descended from Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then his 12 sons, which became 12 tribes, which became the nation of Israel. And now that nation is the nation that God will bless when anybody blesses them and he will curse when anybody curses them. And they are the deliver, they are the one through whom the savior of the world will come. And he has promised to them a land and an inheritance and all of these things. Right? It's really cool and really good if you're part of that promise. And it's kind of lame if you're not part of that promise. Right? Or if you're kind of like the people in society who are more looked down upon. Right? You're not people of privilege. You're people of low status. Right? Well, Paul begins to talk about this in Galatians 3. He talks about the curse. Cursed is anybody who hangs on a tree, and cursed is anybody who follows, like, the law. If you attempt to follow the law, you're going to heap curse upon yourself. Because nobody that's ever tried to keep the law has ever succeeded at keeping the law. And... He's correcting this church in Galatia who are starting to think that you need Jesus plus something. You need Jesus plus circumcision. You need Jesus plus a little bit of the law. And it's like at that point, well, which parts of the law do you choose? Which do you leave out? Which apply to today? Which don't apply to today? And he goes, no, none of that. Because if you start thinking that salvation is from your works and not from Christ, if you start living under the law and not under Christ, what's going to happen is if you start keeping a little bit of the law, you're going to have to keep the whole thing in order to gain salvation up that avenue. You can't keep part of it and gain salvation. You have to live under all of it, and you're a captive and imprisoned under all of it. You're going to have to keep all of it and keep it perfectly And in that way, you can gain the inherited kingdom. Nobody who has attempted to keep the law has kept the law except for Jesus. Jesus kept the law, the entire law, although he was accused of not keeping the law. Right? You're not honoring the Sabbath. Why are you healing on the Sabbath? Right? Why are you living this way? Why are you saying these words? He was accused of not keeping the law, yet he kept it in its entirety. And now as he goes to the cross, and he lives under the imprisonment of the law, Jesus becomes the curse. And Jesus becomes a captive. And when he goes on the cross, the curse dies right the curse dies along with Jesus he has conquered the curse and he has conquered the wages of the curse or the wages of sin which is death as he is resurrected again 
conquer sin and death on the cross. He goes, it's finished. So now this curse which proceeded from the book of the law. Remember, the book of the law cannot bring life. The book of the law can only tell you that you're a sinner. And that sin was in place before the law existed, before it was delivered. Because there were 430 years in there where the law didn't exist. But people were walking by faith, right? And they were sinning in that time. Adam and Eve sinned and they didn't have the law. Cain and Abel sinned. Well, Cain sinned and he didn't have the law. So people were sinning for years on end without having had the law. Now the law comes and it's kind of these guidelines. But the promise preceded the law. Abraham was walking by faith toward the promise of God. And that was counted to him as righteousness. Even though he had no law in place to tell him that he was unrighteous. Law comes to tell people that they're unrighteous and in need of a righteous one. So this promise that comes to Abraham and he walks by faith toward it. Now in Christ, because we are adopted and made sons of God through Christ, this promise is now passed along to us. Good news. Right? We are the recipients of eternal life and eternal inheritance of a promised land of We are part of this people who the people outnumber the stars in the sky. We are part of that promise and that people. And it's because we're adopted in through Christ. Not that we have descended by blood from Abraham, but we are now made a part of Abraham's family through the adoption from Jesus. Awesome, right? So... Jewishness now no longer has to do with an ethnicity, right? We're not descended from Jacob and he had 12 sons and they had 12 tribes and they became a people. We're not descended from that people. So we're not a part of Abraham's family by ethnicity, but we're a part of Abraham's family by adoption and by the promise, Everybody got that? Yeah. So then he goes on to say this. Paul says this. It is not off springs that were promised to Abraham as a part of this big promise. Through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless the world. Right? I'm going to bless the world through your offspring. But Paul clarifies It's not through your offsprings, plural. It's through your offspring, singular. And that offspring, singular, that comes from Abraham, that is Jesus himself. And through Jesus, God will bless the entire world. So is that what he's talking about when he said like your, like the stars are going to be, your offspring will be like the stars? Yes. Through, G- through Jesus, your offspring will be like the stars. Because of the adoption into sonship that we've received through Christ, we now become those descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky. When did Abraham die? Like, 
in... Does it talk about Yeah, he died while Isaac was alive, during Isaac's lifetime. Did he, did he, like, die, like, at all, at, like, 12,000 years or something? No, he didn't make it that long. He is, like, under 200, probably. So, this offspring of Abraham is Christ. And when Christ died on the cross, the law died with him. The curse of the law died with him. The wages of the law, the imprisonment of the law, died with Jesus. And if these things die, what remains? The thing that came before the law. And the thing that came before the law was the promise. The promise to Abraham. Right? I'm going to deliver an eternal inheritance to you. And your descendants, you're going to be the father of a nation. Your descendants are got outnumber the stars in the sky so the law fades away yet the promise remains the law is not an eternal thing but the promise is an eternal thing got it the law was given as a guardian Paul says the law is given as a guardian to one because there's wisdom in the law There's just like natural wisdom about how to do life. It brings some kind of limiting justice. Whereas without the law, anybody could do whatever they want and they could, you kill one of my people, I'll kill 10 of your people, right? Law says no, life for a life. You kill one of my people, I can only kill one of your people. Right? The law says these are the dietary customs. Don't eat meat while the blood is still in it. That's just practical wisdom. Like it, It's not going to be a healthy thing for you to do to eat meat with the blood still in it. You've got to let the, the blood come out, and then you got to eat it, and then you got to barbecue it, and then you got to have a great old time. <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> because the life is in the blood. I don't know. But they weren't supposed to eat the meat with the blood still in it. Simple answer is if. And there, there were, there were like all these regulations about worship and about the Sabbath and about like keeping a Sabbath is a good thing, right? Resting one day a week is a good, wise thing to do for your life. It keeps your life in balance. And then they had like the Sabbath year. So every seventh year, they would not raise crops on their land. That's good for the land. Because then the the crops that are on it, they kind of die and they kind of decay into the ground. And their micronutrients like get into the soil. And it becomes richer soil by not constantly every year taking from the land. But one year not taking from the land. And letting it replenish itself. This is wisdom. There is wisdom in the law. Right? And it helps people live by following that wisdom, like life would be better. Right? However, salvation is not from the law. Got it? It was in the in the salvation sense, the law was a guardian. It's like here's the promise. And we're going to put this law in place. One, so that you know that you're a sinner. Right? Because people without a law could argue in a legal sense. Well, I'm just right. I'm just right because I'm right. Huh. Can't argue with that, right? 
but a law or a legal system would give you a way to argue for your rightness or your wrongness. And if you held the law up to anybody's life that has ever walked the earth besides Jesus, you would find that nobody's followed it completely. Although maybe there were attempts to. And maybe they have glorified the law or even idolized the law because of saying things like, it's good to follow the law. It's good for society. It has wisdom. Yes, it has wisdom. But the law is not eternal. The law cannot give life the way that Jesus gives life. The promise gives life, but the law does not give life. So the law is a guardian. It's kind of like training wheels. It's in place To one, give you some kind of wisdom about how to live. And two, to let you know that you can't live up to par. Nobody does. We all need a savior. (laughs) So the law, not eternal, but the promise is. So what Paul is telling the Galatian people, what he's also telling us, is that in Christ... Because you've been adopted and you're now part of the family of Abraham, you have received the promised eternal inheritance that is going to Abraham. You're now part of Abraham's family, not by ethnicity, but by adoption. You're a part of that family, you're a part of that promise, and you're a part of that inheritance. Amen? Amen. I've got one more thing. All right? Genesis 32. Genesis 32. So we're like trying to understand all of this stuff and we're like, how does this balance out? Like, what does this mean about works and faith? And I don't live by works, but it's like good to be, it's good to work. I don't want to be lazy, right? And we're also told that like, Your faith is made evident by your works. So how do we make sense of all this? Well, here's what happens in Genesis 32. Right? We're going to go to verse 22. Genesis 32, 22. That same night he arose and took his two wives. This is Jacob. Right? He has his two wives. Um, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jebek. He took them and sent them across and everything else that he had. So Jacob comes up to this, the ford of the Jabbok, and it's like this river and he sends them across and all his belongings that he's carrying with him as he's traveling. But Jacob stays on the other side. And this is kind of interesting. You're like, what do I make out of all this? Verse 24 is where it gets a little crazy. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. So Jacob sends his family, his wives, his servants, and his belongings across. He stays behind, and he wrestles with some man all through the night until the breaking of day. It's a long time to wrestle, all right? But Jacob is a beast. When the man that was wrestling Jacob saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled. So the man touches Jacob's hip socket. 
The hip is now out of joint, but Jacob keeps wrestling. More evidence that Jacob is a beast, right? Then he said, let me go, for day has broken. The man says this, not Jacob. Let me go, for day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and prevailed. You have striven with God and with men and prevailed. Implication. Jacob was a recipient of the promise that we were talking about, right? Yet he wrestles with God. And what is his one request in all of this as he strives? Go to seek his brother. That's no. Like awesome. Yeah. Jacob says, I'm not, let, the guy's like, let me go. It's morning. Can we stop? I struck your hip out of place and you're still going for it with your hip out of socket. What the heck are you doing? Stop. And Jacob says, I won't let go until you bless me. Blessing, only God blesses. Implication, Jacob is wrestling with God. And he's walking away with it with a limp. His hip is out of socket. He's never going to be the same. But he has striven with God and with men. He is a person of the promise, yet he has striven. But the question is, what has he striven for? The promise of God. He has not striven for the law or for his own salvation or for whatever. He has striven for the promise of God, this eternal inheritance. I'm not letting go until you bless me. So how do we make sense of all this like works and faith and promise and you're adopted and what it means is that you've received an inheritance by faith and by nothing else the law cannot save you or give life so stop trying to keep the law but start living to Christ and wrestle with God and wrestle with men and strive and don't give up and keep on working and don't just get lazy and say, well, I've got the world on a string, so I'm just going to... Don't stop working. Keep working. Strive. He's driven with God and with men. But for what? God, I'm not letting go until you promise, until you bless me. 
until you make good on your promise? What do we strive for? For the promise of God. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we want to be people of the promise. We want to be counted as sons through Abraham. God, we count ourselves blessed to be one of your children. God, let us never take that for granted. Let us strive with you. Even if we wrestle with you and we wrestle with men, let us wrestle for the right things. Not to prove ourselves right, not to prove other people wrong, but because we've hung on to your promise. Let us live a life that glorifies you and honors you and keeps moving forward day after day till we receive your glorious inheritance for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.